Our sermon passage for this morning is Hebrews chapter 7. <coughs> for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi, who received the priestly office, have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, for a third the need was there, for there to have been another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should house such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is God's word. So Father, we pray that you would take this word and you would speak it to us. May you cause us to see the glory of your son, Jesus. May you cause us to believe that in him there is hope for today and hope for all of eternity. May you cause us to trust him 
We pray in his name. Amen. If you haven't already, please take a Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 7. If you're a guest with us today, we at Redeemer work our way through books of the Bible, and so it's time for chapter 7. So here we are. I remember early in my ministry, I was teaching a Sunday school class at another church, and like a good, arrogant seminarian, I began my class with a three-paragraph-long quote from John Calvin. And then I asked the class, so let's summarize what Calvin's saying. And they all kind of just looked at me like, you're looking at me now, like, what's the point? So then, in about 15 words, I summarized what Calvin was saying in those three paragraphs. And my friend Gary, who was the provost of Vanderbilt University, like, like no man small in intellectual stature, raises his hand and says, well, why didn't you say it like that to begin with? I learned a lesson that day. I have to admit, when I've studied Hebrews 7 this week, the point is pretty simple. And I've wanted to say to the old author of Hebrews a few times, well, why didn't you just say it like that to begin with? So let me tell you the the like that. And then we'll go get lost in the trees for a little bit and we'll say the that again. This is the point. Jesus Christ always, emphasis on always, stands to minister to His people and will do so forever. Emphasis on forever. Jesus Christ always always stands to minister to His people and will do so forever. Walt Disney famously said, and it shows up in several of the early Disney movies, forever is a long, long time. And time has a way of changing things. Walt was mostly correct. Forever is a long, long time. But when it comes to Jesus, time's not changing anything. He's always and forever standing to minister to his people and will be unchanging in doing so. Now all the talk about Melchizedek and priests and blessing and tithes and loins and perfection and the law and the Levites and Aaron... And more Melchizedek and commandments and covenants and words of oath. All of it is supporting data to dig deeply and shine a huge light on the one truth. Jesus Christ always stands to minister to His people and do so forever. And so what I want you to wrestle with today as we dig through this. So if you don't really want to listen to me talk for like the next 40 minutes, I'm just going to cut through all of them and give it to you in like 10 seconds, okay? I want you to consider that forever is an awfully long time. And if you're in Christ, there is not a moment of forever where He is not your advocate, your redeemer, your merciful Savior who is eager 
to minister the blessings of God to you. And it's easy to say that sounds good, but I'm telling you, that is the answer to the cries of your heart that keep you awake at night. And that's the answer to the brokenness that you can't seem to turn the page from. Is that Jesus is always and forever eagerly and mercifully ministering the grace and the healing and the blessing and the restoration of God to the people of God. And He will never stop. All that changes as we go forward is how much we get to see of that. Okay, that's good. Y'all ready to go home? No, no, this is good, but it's hard. Okay, this is good, but it's going to cause us to think. So let's go wading through the depths here to see the reality. Now remember, this whole talk about Melchizedek, it actually began with a false start. So back in chapter 5, verse 9, the author of Hebrews is making a point. He says, And being made perfect, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he's ready to go. Man, we're going with this Melchizedek thing. And he's like, oh, wait, 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 wait. You're not ready for Melchizedek yet. So we have this diversion, and now chapter 7, we're ready to come back to Melchizedek. But what's the main point of chapter 7? Well, it's, it's 9 and 10 of chapter 5. And being made perfect, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now chapter 7 is just going to tell us what all that means. Okay. Now, the lens through which... Chapter 7 tells us about Jesus, the great high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. Or to put that in my phrase, the way that chapter 7 tells us about Jesus, the mediator who always stands to minister to his people and will do so forever. The way he tells us that is through a series of conversations about the priesthood. And so when I say priest, set aside any preconceptions that you bring here today. And think this, think, when I say priest, think of the relationship between God and man and the priests throughout the scripture and frankly in other religions all around the world, the priests are, are those who rep, stand between God and man to represent before one another and kind of carry out what their relationship looks like. Near the end of chapter 7 when it talks about Jesus, the great high priest, it's going to say that what he does as the great high priest is make intercession for the people constantly. So when I say priest, think of the one who's, who mediates the relationship between God and man. And there's faithful priests and unfaithful priests. There's truthful priests and untruthful priests. But that's what priest means. And so the way this passage is going to show us this great vision of Jesus is we got to go through the Levitical priesthood. Then we got to go through the Melchizedek priesthood and then we get to Jesus okay so like those of you who clean house like you know that feeling when you sit down on the couch and you're like man it's done and like everything's where it belongs you know it happens like twice a year you know like that feeling 
like, like you got to do all the work to get to that moment. Or like men, like you mow the grass and it's all like crisp and tidy and all the weeds are gone and you look out front and you're like, I actually have a nice yard today. Like, like that feeling, like you got to work for that feeling, right? And that's, that's what's going to happen here. Like we got to work for that, like Jesus. So let's do the work. First point, the Levitical priests. The Levitical priests. So we're not going to walk through the passage consecutively, but I'm going to try to take the ideas that are there and, 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 and boil them down. So if remember, the book of Hebrews was written to Christians from a Jewish background who are ultimately still wrestling with questions of if Jesus is the Messiah, if He is the Savior, if He is the one who was to come, what does that mean for all of our Jewishness? And at the center of Jewish life was the temple and the priesthood. That was at the center of it. So we modern Americans, we have to work hard to get our minds back to where the recipients of this letter just started. They started with God gave the law through Moses. God established the priesthood. And the priests, the the offspring of the, the Levites, they are called upon to help us live the law and relate to God. That's what they do. And, 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 and Jewish people just think that way, particularly at this time. And so what they're wrestling with is how does Jesus fit into that scheme? But we got to do a little work to get our, our brains back there. So let's, let's, let's do that work, kind of taking from the things that are in this passage. So in the Old Testament, there was Moses. Moses was the figure who, whom God used to deliver his people out of bondage and captivity in Egypt. They, they parted the Red Sea. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. God led them by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And they arrive in the promised land. And that all happens through Moses. But right beside Moses all along is Aaron. And um, Aaron is, is, is the mouthpiece and the helper and um, and so that kind of sense through the people is then that the tribe of the Levites, which is one of the twelve tribes, they become the priests. They become the one, the ones whose work it is to apply the law and live the law and carry out the law between God and His people, Israel. And then amongst the Levites there are what is known as a stream of high priests. There's always a, a high priest. And uh, what you get throughout the, New T- the Old Testament is a series of priests. Um, and, they're, and this is what's really important for us to get our minds around when it comes to this conversation. This series of priests, number one, they're appointed by birthright. Either you're born into the right line or you're not born into the right line. Two, they are just as sinful as the people. The series of priests are just as sinful as the people. Okay, hold on one second. I'm having a technology fail up here. Okay. The series of priests is just as sinful as the people. It says here in Hebrews 7 that they have to go and offer sacrifice for their sins before they can even offer sacrifice for the sins of the people. And this series of priests are Temporary, meaning they're human and they die. 
So it wasn't a single priest, but there was a series of priests because they were human and they died. And what these priests did is they represented the people before God, carrying out the law of Moses, and they received tithes from the people. So the people would tithe to the priest because it was the work and the calling of the priest to represent the people and do this religious work. Um, to put it in modern kind of parlance, they were full-time in the work of ministry. But from the book of Hebrews, what's really important for us to remember about these Levitical priests is they were appointed by birthright, they were temporary, and they were just as sinful as the people. Okay. It's also important to remember, and, and, and Hebrews 7 makes this abundantly clear, so this isn't me doing systematic theology, it's what the passage says, that the law of Moses that they were carrying out was never intended to perfect anyone. That obedience to the law of Moses never made anyone spiritually perfect. Obedience to the law of Moses never took away the sins of a person permanently. The law of Moses was always intended to point forward. The law of Moses was intended to point forward to the, the one like Moses who would come later to deliver the people. So the Levitical priests were fallen humans doing a work that God called them to do that was by definition temporary and was not intended to fully deliver anyone. It was necessary. It was important. God called His people to live that way. But their work could never produce forever fruit. It just couldn't. So by nature, they were temporary, sinful, and their work was temporary in what it could accomplish. So, a good biblical student might think this. Oh, okay, so I understand the Levitical priesthood. So now the author of Hebrews is going to tell me how Jesus is better. Well, Jesus is far better. And we could have, I guess. But he wants to go to another depth that produces another layer of goodness. And so before we get to go from the Levitical priest to Jesus, there's this middle step, and that is Melchizedek. And so the middle step, I, I know I'm, I'm asking you to string together three logical thoughts. The Levitical priest, Melchizedek is greater than the Levitical priest, and because Jesus is greater than Melchizedek, he's greater than all of them. That, that's the three logical thoughts we're stringing together. I get it. I get it. It's early on Sunday, and you may or may not have enough coffee before you got here. I didn't, okay? So I get it. But the fruit is at the end. So you have these Levitical priests who are temporary, they're sinful, they're appointed by their birthright, and their work does not bear eternal fruit. It just, it just doesn't. It was to point forward to the one who could bear eternal fruit. But then there's this, okay, but, but there's this other stream that gets introduced, and it's, it's the stream called Melchizedek. That leads to the second point. The second point is a different priest. Now, Based upon the prominence of Melchizedek in Hebrews chapter 7, you might think that he is a prominent figure in the Old Testament. I mean, right? Like, if you've never read the Old Testament, and you're just learning of the gospel, and you're reading Hebrews 7, you might think, man, if I read the Old Testament, I'm going to learn all kinds of stuff about Melchizedek. Right? You might, you might assume that. Wrong. Nothing. This is Melchizedek's life in the Bible. 
He gets a few verses in Genesis 14. He gets one verse in Psalm 110. And he gets the star in Hebrews. Well, I guess Jesus stars. He gets the lead supporting actor in Hebrews. And that's it. So there's not a ton known about Melchizedek except what is seen in Hebrews 7. So when I get done talking about Melchizedek and you go, you just told me what was there on the page? Yeah, that's what we got. But there's still, this is where we're headed, okay? So what do we know about Melchizedek? Number one. He's called the king of Salem. He's called the king of Salem. Some believe that the title king of Salem could be metaphorical. Or others believe that Salem was physically the land where Jerusalem would be. And so he was the king of the place where God would establish his presence. Second. He's called priest of the Most High God. So he's the king of Salem, and he's a priest of the Most High God. And I think that means the one true God. Third, we're told that he was a righteous king. And that could be a title, but you only give that title to those who actually are Righteous. So he lived a life of righteousness before God. Fourth, he was both king and priest. And in the law of Moses, there's great effort to separate the priesthood from the kings. Fourth, we don't know his beginning or his end. We don't know his beginning or his end. Fifth, we're told that his priesthood, quote, chapter 7, verse 3, continues forever. That's what we know. Still a bit of mystery there, right? Some would argue that this is a human king who knew of the one true God before the law and served in this purpose, in this particular place where God would establish his kingdom. Others believe that this Melchizedek figure, rather than being a mere human, is actually a, like a pre-incarnate Jesus figure walking the earth. I don't feel the need to tease into all of that, except that there was a Melchizedek. And what becomes really important for this chapter, like if you want, okay, Jamie, just give me the, like the cookies on the bottom shelf. What do I need to know about Melchizedek? Number one, he was forever. He was forever. He was not temporary. When he died, 
this role of the priest king of Salem didn't just pass on to a son. Number two, he offered a blessing to Abraham. So in Genesis 14, Abraham is out fighting a battle, and after the battle, as he comes back, Melchizedek meets him, and and Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And the important point of the blessing, as stated in Hebrews 7, is that the greater figure blesses the lesser figure. So for Abraham, the carrier of God's promises to receive the blessing from Melchizedek, is for Abraham to recognize that Melchizedek is a greater figure than he is. Okay. Third, Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. So Abraham took the spoils of the battle and offered a tithe to Melchizedek in the same way that later Israelites would offer a tithe to the Levites. So Melchizedek was forever. Abraham received a blessing from him which shows a position of superiority. And Abraham paid tithes to him which shows a position of deference and honor. Okay? Fourth, and this is really important, in verses 4 through 9, 4 through 10, you get this argument. So put on your biology hat for a minute, okay? You get this argument that because all of the Levites, all of those Levitical priests that we just talked about, because they are physical offspring of Abraham, you get this kind of metaphorical argument that they were in the loins of Abraham when he received the blessing. And they were in the loins of Abraham when he gave the tithe. Right. We've got kids in the room. We all, we all clear here? Okay. Alright. So, the argument is that metaphorically all the Levites received a blessing from Melchizedek, so Melchizedek is greater than all the Levites. And all of the Levites offer tithe to Melchizedek, showing deference to Melchizedek. So the argument is that Melchizedek is by definition greater than all the Levitical priests. Because he's forever, because he was worshipped, and because he gave a blessing to Abraham. Okay. Now let's put it all together. Third point. The better priest. I told you we were going here to begin with. Jesus is the better priest. But better in which way? Better than all of it. He's better than the Levitical priesthood because He offers an eternal salvation that they could not offer. He's better than the Levitical priesthood because He offers an eternal forgiveness for sins that that they could not offer. He's better than Melchizedek Because He is the one true God who does not resemble a Son of God, but is the Son of God. He's better than Melchizedek because He lives and He reigns forever. And we know from where He came, and we know where He went, and we know how to find Him, and we know how to relate to Him, and we know how to worship Him. And so the argument is, Jesus is the greater high priest after the order. Order just simply means the type, the the way of Melchizedek. 
So chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus, God designated Jesus the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus has gone into the heavens as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What we're being told is when we think of Jesus' high priesthood, think of Melchizedek and think of Jesus as greater. In what ways? Number one, Jesus is forever. He's forever. It's not temporary. It's forever. The Gospels tell us that Jesus lived. He died. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. And we're told in the book of Acts that He physically stands at the right hand of the throne of God carrying out the work of building the kingdom. Jesus is forever, like Melchizedek. Number two, Jesus is like Melchizedek And that his place as the great high priest was not brought forth by birthright, but it was brought forth by righteous living. We're told that he was holy, he was innocent, he was unstained, and he was separated from sinners. What that means is that the the human life of Jesus mattered. And we evangelicals in America in modern days do a really wretched job of pondering the humanity of Jesus. Yes, he was God. I am not questioning that. He was the God. man. He was fully God. He was fully divine. But he navigated this life under the law of God, under temptation, under under the weight of living in a fallen world, under brokenness. He navigated all of that, and he did so in such a way that he was holy, innocent, unstained, and while among sinners, remained separated from sinners. So Jesus is unique of all the humans who have ever lived, and for that reason, he is worthy of being our great high priest forever. Third, Jesus offers his holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners' life as a sacrifice for the sins of humanity. He offers His life to overcome the weakness of the law and extend to us a better way. The better way is come to Jesus and be forgiven. Come to Jesus and draw near to God. Come to Jesus and meet a high priest who will forever intercede for the people. Come to Jesus and be made whole. Come to Jesus and be set free. Come to Jesus and be delivered. Come to Jesus and be ministered to. Come to Jesus and be cared for. He's eternal, he's righteous, and he offers his life as a sacrifice for the people. And fourth and finally, this Jesus guarantees a better covenant by his life. The better covenant is this. You don't have to earn anything from God. Jesus earned it for you. You don't have to do work to take away the sting and the consequences of your rebellion. Jesus did that for you. You don't have to pretend 
Because Jesus took away everything that you'd ever want to hide for you. You don't have to make a better way for yourself. Jesus made it. He left the heavens and He went back and He's taken His people with Him. He offers us a better covenant. Fifth, Jesus constantly intercedes for His people. Jesus constantly intercedes for His people. What that means is there is not a moment that goes by where Jesus is not standing for His people in the presence of God, pleading our case, pleading His blood, pleading His mercy, and ministering to us, for us, and to us in the presence of God. These are the ways that Jesus is the better high priest and that it's good for us that He's like Melchizedek more than He's like the Levitical priests. So now what I want to do as we draw near to an end is I want to reread the last nine verses of this chapter for you. And I want to ask you to hear them through the lens of what we've just talked about. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Right, what a beautiful word, uttermost, is. Not just what we present to him, not just that stuff we let the world know about, but all the way down at the core of our ugly, dirty brokenness, he saves us there. The stuff that we don't even realize yet needs to be healed and restored and made new. He saves us there. Why? Since He always lives to make intercession for them. You get that? Always. Always. Every single moment. Jesus is living and active to make intercession for His people. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. For He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for His own sins and then for the sins of the people, since He did this once for all. And once for all is a phrase that means once for every single sin that would ever be held against us, He took it all. When He offered up Him.
self. Just by his blood and his body. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Always and forever explain how Jesus ministers to his people. So I want to end this way. In the words of Disney, Forever and ever is a long time. You're here today and you're kind of exploring the faith, trying to figure out what it means to stand before Jesus. Trying to figure out if you even care about the gospel. Hebrews 7 would say, forever and ever is a long time. And you can face that with Jesus as your advocate or you can face it on your own. You choose. For those of us here today who stand in Christ, forever and ever is a long time, but there will not be a single moment where Jesus is not your advocate, your friend, the one who cares for you, and the one who will apply God's goodness and mercy and grace to you. I just, well, can we believe that? I mean, I think if we could believe that, we could experience a wholeness that changes everything. Like the wholeness that counseling centers are eager to help us find, Jesus can do that on that level. Don't worry if you go to counseling. I do too. There are friends that help us apply the gospel to where we are. But Jesus is the answer to all that. I just, what if we all believe that always and forever there is not a moment where Jesus is not our advocate, our friend, our redeemer, and the one who will care for our souls and nurture us all the way to the end? I just can't help but think that we could stop pretending, we could stop faking it, we could stop trying to act like we're okay when we're really not okay. We could admit that we're filled with hurt, doubt, fear, hatred, anger, because God knows all that anyway, and we could let him care for us there. And then we could risk loving others because God will always love us no matter what reviling comes back our way. And we could risk giving things away and we could risk serving others and we could risk moving to the other side of the world to proclaim the gospel because always and forever and everywhere Jesus stands to advocate for his people. It's true. The question is, does it change us? That's what I want. I want it to change us. Worship team, you guys go ahead and come up. Father, would you take these words? Would you do something spiritually life-transforming in this room? Please, Father, please, we beg of you.